Are you curious about the current state of the rapidly changing real estate market? For answers, look no further than Brian Linda at Coldwell Banker Bernizer Realtors. We are experienced real estate professionals with over 40 combined years in the industry. We have a finger on the pulse of the market and can help you understand the latest trends and conditions no matter how wild they appear. Right now, we are offering a free, no-strings-attached seller's guide. This guide is packed with valuable tips and insights to help you navigate the selling process with confidence. Contact us today at www.realestatechanged.com or find Get Brian and Linda on Facebook. Remember, for all things real estate, Get Brian and Linda. Good day, everyone. This is Dr. Dave Usher from Dr. Usher Ways In. Thanks for joining our podcast. As you know, I am a family doctor and I specialize also in obesity medicine. Uh, my practice in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Uh, we see hundreds of patients every month for uh, what we call medical weight loss and uh, help people uh, retake their lives. Uh, from the scourge of, of the obesity epidemic, uh, and we do so in a way that uh, helps offset high cost of health care uh, by uh, by our uh, reimbursement model, and we we avoid uh, monkeying around with insurance and so forth in our direct pay model. So today, uh, drawing on our experience in in medical weight loss, uh, I get a lot of questions about what we do. Well, of course we. I say, of course, um, you may or may not know, we start off and try to encourage most people to uh, work within the idea of a low-carbohydrate uh, diet, which by definition means that really the focus should be on uh, getting protein in the diet, uh, the most satisfying, satiating thing that there is, and um, to get the carb toxic carbohydrate out of the diet. That's the sugars and the starches. Uh, and you may have heard me talk on other podcasts about why it is everybody thinks they're supposed to be eating grains and fruits and vegetables and so forth. Um, what I'm going to talk about today is uh, a concept which I have um, been aware of in the past. I just heard it presented in a beautiful uh, fashion at Low Carb Denver 2023 uh, by a uh, gentleman, uh, Professor Bill Schindler. And... Uh, 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 Bill Schindler has done a National Geographic series called The Great Human Race. And uh, he is a uh, paleontologist, uh, anthropologist, and he refers to himself as a paleotechnician, or paleotechnologist. And his he did a nice uh, talk on ancestral eating and um, how we've evolved over the years to the point where we are as uh, people who eat the way we eat. And so I kind of would like to just walk you through that logic because it's the most <clears throat> succinct discussion I've ever heard on this topic. And uh, really, when we're talking uh, low-carb eating, uh, it gives people perspective um, as to why this might be really the best way uh, for folks to eat. And how it is that when you think about, uh, again, we'll call it misinformation or disinformation that we've been uh, inundated with for the past 50 or 60 years, how it is that if we unlearn some of that last 50 or 60 years and try to um, 
embrace the idea that low-carb eating really might be the way to go, which it is, uh, it kind of gives a, a logical construct or a, a way to think about that, a framework for thinking about that, that you can say, huh, yeah, I guess that does kind of make sense if this is the way it's been for millions of years. So, so let me share a little bit about uh, what that was like. Um, basically, uh, again, this is Dr. Bill Schindler's um, a, sum a summary of uh, what he did. And by the way, I'm, I thank him for his uh, presentation. And if I uh, muff anything he said, it's completely unintentional. <laughs> Um, but it, again, it's, it's such a wonderful synopsis. Basically, he went back and looked at our, our ancient ancestors as far back as we have any kind of, uh, fossil records or, um, archaeological findings, uh, to support. And, um, so he went back about three and a half million years to our, the oldest ancestor we're aware of, um, that we have much to talk about. And this is not us at the time. Homo sapiens sapiens is us. That's the, the genus um, species, and uh, that's the species that we are. Uh, and we have been around for several hundred thousand years at least as uh, Homo sapiens sapiens. But going all the way back to Homo habilis, um, that's the, this little uh, guy was about three feet, maybe three and a half feet tall, and he was basically a forager, right? So uh, he would walk around, he had hands and feet, um, and kind of looked like us, but a much smaller version. And uh, they would eat uh, grasses and things that they could find, but and tons and tons of insects. Of course, um, if you think of uh, chimpanzees sometimes now, where they'll dip a little blade of grass into an anthill and lick off the ants and, and so on. Probably something like that. Um, and they did well with this for, for a million years. Um, these folks managed uh, to to live this way. But he said there was a a split second in time that changed everything about uh, the trajectory of kind of these, I guess you'd call them advanced primates, which uh, we are. Uh, and that and he demonstrated right on stage. It was really elegant. Um, he had a big rock. I think it flint that's what i think it was a big white rock but he took a little tiny rock and smacked that one time right on stage and a, this big rock splintered off a little triangle shaped thing about the size of two decks of cards let's say but along that edge the leading edge uh he held it up so you could see it and he said that gets down to just a micron just a molecule thick you can see the light through the edge it's so sharp uh and he said basically that changed everything for us because um, we had been foragers using no tools, just our hands and our feet. Uh, and that one discovery, which dates back to about 3.4 million years ago, uh, if I remember correctly, um, allowed us over time to figure out how it is uh, that we can get more food more safely higher quality, more nutrient density from our environment uh, without um, having to work as hard for it, basically, right? So if you can get more food uh, and spend less energy doing it, uh, that's going to give you more energy for other things like growth and development. And um, so it took about a million years, uh, but it 
at some point, uh, we evolved from a foraging lifestyle to a scavenging and gathering lifestyle. And the way uh, Bill Schindler describes this is people going out, uh, he makes reference to the big apex predators, the lion on the savanna over in Africa will um, attack its prey, take it down, gobble up the things that have all the nutrients in them, like the organs and the, um, and the fat and the blood, uh, which is where all the really, really n intense nutrient uh, density um, components are. And they would go lay down in the shade and digest for a while before coming back to consume the rest of the, the rest of the critter, the carcass, the meat, what we would think of as the meat primarily. In the meantime, when the lion goes to lay down, the hyenas and the vultures come in, the scavengers will come pick the pick at the carcass until the big lion comes back. Well, uh, little Homo habilis with his little hands and feet uh, had nothing to defend himself against the lion um, and wasn't quick enough or didn't have the canines, didn't have any of the tools necessary to go dig at that meat and, and tear it away and, and make it a really uh, safe, effective way to get nutrients. But about a million years in, they figured out with this blade-like thing that they could make from a rock, they could get into that game. They could get in there, hack away at meat, cut it off the thing. They either eat it right away or at least take some of that away and get away from the lion before he came back. So for what that what happened then is, as you see over time, is humans with these advancing approaches to uh, getting their food. Uh, they would become, they would have, the humans evolved, basically. So uh, we evolved along along the way, but this Homo habilis character, then you see something like Homo erectus, which is just a little bit taller, bigger brain box, and the more brain, um, uh, the more uh, technological ability things uh, that these um, individuals uh, could, or the species could manage. So when you don't go along a million years without doing really well. I mean, you have to be thriving in the environment you're in to, to survive a million years. And so to evolve to the next level, um, the scavenger gatherers obviously did well at that also. Eventually, you'd see the brain box get bigger. Uh, people would get bigger. You had uh, Homo erectus in there. Another offshoot was uh, Neanderthals. Ultimately, you wind up with humans. And so we, we uh, after the scavenger gatherers, we became hunter gatherers. We figured out how to um, uh, dig things uh, with sticks and with these um, again sharp instruments. You could make um, chisel them down to arrowheads. You could shoot an animal from a distance now. And as we got smarter and smarter, we learned to climb trees and we could get at milk or honey and eggs and things like that from trees. So. We were doing better and better, getting more and more energy from our environment with less and less uh, risk to ourselves and um, able to reproduce well and uh, develop. And eventually, um, we became us, Homo sapiens, Homo sapiens sapiens. And so um, that was hundreds of thousands of years ago. So when the technology became available, it took a million years for Homo habilis to figure out that, gee, we can 
we can use this as a tool and all of a sudden um, uh, we evolved to the kind of to the next level or our ancestors evolved to the next level so it was hundreds of thousands of years before homo sapiens sapiens now hunters and gatherers uh, figured out that if they would just stay in one place if they could take one of these or some of these critters and put them in one place, fence them in or tie them up. Um, you could have your food in one place without having to move all the time. Humans as hunters and gatherers, we were always on the move. What, what was always in season back then was always animal products, meat, whether that was fish or uh, birds or you know large large animals like deer or buffalo or bison or, or whatever the gazelles whatever the animal was um that was in season all year round but you had to move with it because they didn't stay in one place so we were nomadic uh, we would gather along the way maybe we'd run into a berry patch and gobble those all down and um you know they would help us build a little fat because that was extra energy compared to what we were used to um but by and large uh we were carnivorous for the most part people say we're omnivores which we are uh, but the primary source of our uh, ability to evolve and ability to survive that uh, really w uh, came from the protein and fat rich animals that we were able to procure i guess is the word and so um we did well with that for a long time and it and the historical records indicate that it wasn't until probably the last fifteen thousand years that we actually developed what we know now is agriculture, where we were settled in one place long enough to actually uh, a grow a thing, a crop, right? Wheat, or that's probably the one we know the best from like biblical times in ancient Egypt and so forth. Um, but growing things all in one place and being able to settle down into uh, society and, and cultures where larger and larger groups of people uh, lived together and kind of mutually supported each other. And it's at that point that we evolved from hunter-gatherers to producers, where we could actually um, come up with a way to... Uh, and actually, there's a, some specialization then within those primitive cultures. There would be, uh, had to be, uh, folks who would produce the meat, for example, or produce the, the dairy product or produce the, the grain, the ag products, um, and that just kind of uh, became what we do, we call it producers. And then at some point in the 17 or 1800s, it got to the point where people no longer had to produce any of their own food. Lots of people did. There were still lots of farmers and so forth. The U.S. was full of them, of course. Um but at some point, the city dwellers no longer had any connection to the production of the food uh, that they consumed. Um, and over 200 or 300 years now, uh, we can see that, of course. we, Most of us, uh, frankly, even farmers, um, they might grow one crop or maybe they're growing beef cattle and so forth. But most of them probably aren't growing all the things they eat. They're just growing one particular thing and they're they're producing for others to consume. But by and large, uh, nearly everybody in this country is a consumer. That is to say, uh, they go to a, a store and they buy things or they buy it online or however they, they get it these days. 
but they're so disconnected from their food source. Um, what's happened over time is that we have become more and more dependent on somebody else telling us what we should be eating because we don't know anymore, right? Food has become so uh, manufactured and value-added and uh, in the last 50 years, we've seen different food labels and nutrition labels and ways of scoring food as being healthy or more healthy or less healthy um, that we really have lost touch with what it is we are supposed to eat. There's no other critter on the planet that relies on somebody else to tell it what it's supposed to be eating, right? They, all, they're, they just eat instinctively. What is that? They Well, they do what they do. You can observe it, right, on National Geographic or other other shows. But we humans have evolved to the point where we just, we rely on somebody else to tell us. And that is often a problem. And so, um, in another podcast, you may have heard me talk about um, the United States Department of Agriculture and the food pyramid and and the dietary guidelines for Americans and so forth. And uh, these are somebody's ideas of what it is they're supposed to be eating. My, my, uh, my own bias, my concern about that is that basically what's, who, who's putting those guidelines out is the Department of Agriculture, whose job it is is to sell farm products. So I'm not sure, in fact, I'm quite sure that eating ancestrally has nothing to do with that food pyramid approach or the dietary guidelines approach. And um, and I think that's how we've gotten this obesity epidemic is we've gotten to the point where by listening to other people tell us what we're supposed to be eating, we've arrived at a place where we're just toxifying ourselves day in and day out. And more and more and more people are becoming uh, victims of obesity and morbid obesity and super obesity our kids, almost 18 and a half, probably 20% of our children these days are in the category where we classify them as having obesity, which is um, which is terrible because the kids who have obesity as kids are hugely likely to be um, afflicted with this as adults, and they'll never outgrow it. And obesity, of course, is its own risk factor for early heart attacks and strokes uh, and so on. <clears throat> Lots to be said about that, but um, bottom line is we've gotten away from eating ancestrally and eating uh, in the way that um, even we as the Homo sapiens sapiens species ate a couple hundred thousand years ago, uh, which was really good for us. It allowed us to survive for a long time and evolved to the point where we could control everything about our food environment, right? I mean, other things in the environment as well. And we don't die of things like uh, infection and trauma and and um, rivaling tribes and so forth. Now we die of uh, old age uh, very frequently, but old age looks different uh, among people with healthy body weights uh, from people who are affected by obesity. So there's all these chronic illnesses we manage and so on. By eating ancestrally, so uh, Bill Schindler made a, a, this point, which is, I think, also worthy of uh, 
really is a head scratcher and you kind of go, hmm, and you rub your jaw and think, wow, yeah, I never thought of that. His point is we as human beings only exist as human beings because at some point we developed a technological advantage. Some technology, even if it's that simple rock that split apart and created the food, the uh, ability to, to cut our food or dig in the ground or, um, or shoot a critter from a distance with an arrowhead, for example, a bow and arrow. We have always been dependent on some technological connection, some technological advantage. We don't exist as human beings because we're stronger and um, faster than our uh, competitors in the environment. We have evolved because we figured out a technology, and technology's always been connected to uh, obtaining food for ourselves. And that, of course, the technology has evolved, evolved from, you know, a simple stick to drop a seed in a hole and cover it up and wait for the rainwater to mega farms where we can, you know, get gobs and gobs of bushels per acre of whatever it is that we're growing. And uh, we can use GPS technology to determine where watering and fertilizing needs to go in certain fields and, and adjust those things by computer and so forth. Uh, to really maximize ye maximize yield and so on, so we can produce incredible incredible amounts of of uh, uh, foodstuffs uh, for ourselves. Um, but meanwhile, the cost of that to the trade off for that has been that we have while we have larger and larger brains, which take a lot of energy to run. Uh, other things have gotten less evolved. That is to say. We don't have very sophisticated guts, so uh, unlike a cow which can graze on grass all day and get all the energy it needs from grass, we don't digest grass at all. We don't have any reason for that. Um, we do with uh, ovens and and uh, clay uh, pottery jars and uh, what do they call those big things that they uh, ferment sauerkraut in? crocs um, we do with our technology what other animals do uh, within with their own biology right um, ferment foods and and um, chew them up and digest them and all those things that uh, we just don't have the the physical ability to do anymore we don't have big teeth and huge uh, jaws and jaw muscles to be able to crush and grind and do all of that but we have machinery that does that for us but if we look back a couple hundred thousand years, um, what we'll see is we were uh, nomadic hunters, gatherers, and most of our food came from animal sources. Very successful and um, promoted a brighter future for us all the time. And, and that protein and fat that we would get from those animals was very nutritious and uh, allowed us to evolve these big brains that consume, I've heard 20%, I've heard as much as 50% of our daily energy consumption, at least at rest, um, comes from the activity in our brain. Uh, the brain is loaded with fat and um, needs fat and it makes its own cholesterol. Um, so there's been 
lots of conversations about nutrition and what's good for us and so forth. But I think if we look at it through the ancestral lens, we begin to understand why a low-carb diet kind of makes sense. Um, we weren't, for 200,000 years, nobody grew a grain, right? There's um, even things like legumes, uh, peas, kidney beans, black beans, uh, things like that. They're, they're, they have toxins in them. All plants have toxins of some sort because it's a survival thing. They make something, it's unpalatable to somebody. Uh, so um, by producing this toxin, if something comes along and eats it, it either makes them sick or that thing, like a cow, develops a strategy for being able to digest that toxin out of the system before they actually uh, ingest it and it goes through the gut and so on. Um, and we wouldn't have had any way to manage that. We were Homo sapiens sapiens, but we hadn't yet evolved um, to the point where we understood how to kind of uh, do all of that processing of of non-animal foods. Um, and and nor would we want to do that because we wouldn't have foods in large enough quantities until people started farming things. Right? It would take you all day. Even in, when they're in season, it would take you all day to peck around and find enough blueberries to to make a meal, right? And whereas, um, uh, shoot one critter and you've got food for a day or a week or a couple of months, depending on how big the animal was. Or you could feed an entire tribe and so forth. So it wasn't until we settled down in one place that you could produce enough ag products to make that even look like it could be a meal for somebody or or a series of meals for somebody. So humans really <clears throat> evolved on animal products is the whole point, right? So a low-carb diet, uh, low-carb um, meaning uh, low in sugars and starches, uh, high in protein, and um, by percentage then it would also be high in fat, uh, is, is the basis of our uh, medical weight loss uh, treatment program, and the reason that works is because ancestrally, that's how we're designed to eat. Um, obesity wasn't a thing back then, un unless you had some rare genetic problem that made you that way. Um, but for the most part, uh, obesity is a is a disease of um, prosperity, wealth, right? Even uh, you go to third world countries. We heard a speaker this weekend at Low Carb Denver who said she went to a foreign country. She thought she was going to deal with um, getting adequate nutrition for pregnant mothers and what they did was uh, took her and plopped her in and said you are going to run an obesity clinic in a third world country. We're going to have you deal with the overweight problems uh, that we're seeing in our developing nation. So as even our third world countries these days have a bigger problem with obesity than they do with undernutrition. And the essence of obesity is it is carbohydrate toxicity, uh, plain and simple. And um, there are rare exceptions to that, but none that I've ever met. It's mostly genetic in those cases. And um, otherwise, it's sugar and starch uh, and its effect on insulin and um, and there's a new theory out, which we might have another podcast about, talking about the fructose uh, pathway, which is um, independent of of the 
carb insulin pathway, also very toxic and um, very prevalent, maybe as much of a problem uh, for uh, some people as the whole carb carbohydrate insulin theory. Uh, but in any case, that is the, the background for uh, low-carb eating and why I'm enthusiastic about it and why our patients have so much success, uh, because it is um, it is satiating, uh, provides satiety, allows people to eat in a way where they don't have to feel deprived. Uh, they just eat the stuff we're designed to eat, and strangely, that's very satisfying for them. And then they wind up consuming less energy overall, and they certainly aren't in this continuous obesogenic state of high insulin levels uh, which just compounds obesity over and over uh, as well as causes other uh, disease blood vessels um, mental health problems and so forth Um, and that one other tidbit I'll throw out there which we'll talk about uh, at some point uh, in another podcast is um, the Harvard psychiatrist we heard speak uh, talking about mental health as a metabolic disease and the effects of uh, our diet. The same obesogenic diet actually causes or contributes to um, probably all of the big mental health disorders we know, uh, including schizophrenia and bipolar illness and anxiety and depression, as well as some neurologic disorders like Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, epilepsy. Uh, etc. Um, so this is not a small thing, and low carb is is a thing we really need to spread far and wide. It really is um, going to be uh, the solution to healthcare cost in the future, as well as improving healthcare across the population, uh, the health of our population. Uh, we have to get back to um, localizing our food, um, knowing who produced it, how it was produced, uh, and the more you know about your uh, food and the people who produce it, the more likely it is to be healthy and in line with an ancestral uh, way of eating. Every time anybody adds value to foodstuffs, they aren't making it any healthier, and they're only making it probably more expensive. Um, If not in direct cost for the food, in indirect cost for the health problems it causes down the road. Okay, that's uh, a wrap for today. I'd like to thank you for joining uh, me today at Dr. Usher Weighs In. Uh, We're thrilled that you have been a part and we'll look forward to uh, seeing you on another podcast.